Okay, I'm going to take a wee risk as I start this because I know there was lots going on last night and people were at different things. So this first question might bomb completely and damage my first illustration entirely, but I'm going to try anyway. Who here watched Eurovision last night? Brilliant. There's at least a couple of people. Fantastic. I'm so relieved that some people watched it. Not because you watched it, but because that means I can then ask my next couple of questions of my introduction. Did anyone manage to pick the winner? No, no, and I'm not surprised actually because I have to say when it was Ukraine that won, my memory is right, isn't it? Yeah, Ukraine won. When they, when they performed that song, I thought we were being punished for some reason or another. And then they won. I was getting mocked because I picked Poland, who were second bottom until the final bit and then rocketed to the top five. So I was quite pleased with that. But last night was one of these nights I was sat in front of the, the computer. It's one of these weeks when, as you're writing a sermon, you just never quite feel that point when things are all coming together. And I was sitting last night in front of the computer, and this is the point where I finally started to feel things were starting to come together, and I'll tell you why in a second. It wasn't because of Eurovision. That didn't give me any inspiration. You're not about to see me sing and dance in some ridiculous uniform, as they like to do in Eurovision. But... This was the night that I was sitting in front of Eurovision and I was writing away on the computer. Sometimes I was looking up, absolutely puzzled at what was going on before me. Um, and I think the point I paid attention was when it got to, I think it was at half past ten when we started picking the winners. But the reason it took so long for this sermon to, to, to come together was, I think, because there were so many different themes wrestling for attention within my head. One of the themes was last week. Last week was a challenge because last week we were reminded powerfully of what it means to be a thankful people. Thankful not because of what we have, but because of who we have. Because we have Jesus Christ. And that question of if you only had tomorrow what you give thanks for today is one that sat quite powerfully in my mind, what would we have tomorrow and just how thankful are we? Another theme was it's Pentecost Sunday. And I've still not entirely ruled out getting us to sing happy birthday, so if you start to look bored, I'm going to resort to that. It's Pentecost Sunday today, the birthday of the church, a hugely significant day for us as followers of Jesus Christ, because this is the day that God poured out his spirit and established the church and fulfilled what he promised that he was going to do. When he says, behold, I am with you always. And we had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we have our verses. Our verses should always be part of a sermon. One of the things I was always taught in sermon classes, preach the text, preach the text, preach the text. And depending on who the teacher was that was leading it, that would either be said quite gently and diplomatically, or less gently and diplomatically. And sometimes they didn't miss and hit the wall. So the text is important as well. But the other theme that's hitting me this morning is life. Life. What are we preaching these verses into as a community, as a people of God this morning? So there are four different themes that have been wrestling in my mind this past week. And I would hope I've managed to balance them all as we go through the sermon. If you think one one over the other, then don't tell me, because I've tried to balance them. So you can just share that in the midst of yourself. But we have 
in our verses this morning. Brilliant verses of hope. Verses which tell us that one of the things our identity is, is to proclaim the excellencies it says in these verses. The greatness of him who called us out of darkness and into marvellous light. That we are a people because of that. Once we hadn't received mercy, and now we have received mercy. So this morning I'm sticking to the well-established and proper tradition of three points. They don't all start with the same letter, but tough. And the first of these is mercy. And it struck me as I heard that word mercy. Do we feel like a people who have received mercy this morning? Is it an attribute or a concept that we feel well familiar with? What is it this morning? As I, as I said mercy, it would be a huge assumption for me just to stand up and talk about mercy as it's a given that it's something we all feel and that we're familiar with. But what is it for us this morning? Because the reality is, as we speak about mercy, we speak about mercy into a harsh world. We speak about mercy into a world and into lives in which things happen that devastate us, absolutely bewilder us. We speak about mercy into a church community in which the command to carry one another's burdens is so very, very real to us. Where we see people with illness and we're praying for miracles and we're not actually seeing them happen. So we know that then we keep on praying. We see people with threats over their jobs or that they have lost their jobs. We know of people in, their ch- in this church that are praying with all that they have for their families because their members of their families are suffering and still we're waiting for those prayers to be answered as well. All of this kind of stuff we're wrestling with as individuals and followers of Jesus Christ this morning as we sit here. And we sit here and now we are reminded of mercy. How familiar do you feel with mercy this morning? Do we feel it powerfully or do we feel sometimes we're at that place where we're almost on the ropes and I'm resorting to the boxing metaphor now and one more punch and we might be down for ten when our prayer to God is actually more a plea. No more. This is enough. What would mercy mean for us this morning? When Peter speaks of mercy, he of course is speaking about us as a people who have received mercy. And in his mind he's speaking about the mercy of God. The mercy of a God who, in spite of the choices we made prior to knowing Jesus and those that we've made since we've known Jesus, determined to bring each and every one of us near to him. And he did that through Jesus Christ. We have received the most remarkable form of mercy because God has brought 
and drawn each and every one of us to himself. That is mercy. But I wonder just how powerful that mercy feels when we go through the storms. I really liked the children's talk this morning because it very much sits with parts of this. Sometimes the storms hit us. Sometimes we don't even see them coming. That was one of the things about the lake that these fishermen kept trying to fish on. The storms could come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden they would find themselves in perilous and dangerous situations. And Jesus taught Peter that most valuable lesson in the midst of the storms to keep our eyes set on the one who does, who does deliver us that mercy. And I think it's also mercy that we are sat here this morning. I would be bold to stick my hand up and say just how many people when, when we first woke up this morning after a busy week and after all that the week might have brought were like, yes, church this morning, let's go. Probably not many of us would get up. We've got kids to get ready. We've got things to do, maybe clothes to iron, um, knots to get out of kids' shoes that you don't know how they get there sometimes, teenagers to pull out of bed, which sometimes feels like you're having to pray and try and resurrect the dead. All sorts of different things going on that makes things busy. So it's a mercy that we're here this morning because sometimes we don't actually feel, I actually want to be there that, this morning. But we have that inner compulsion to gather as God's people. And it's a mercy we're here. Not just because of the person you're sat beside, who I'm sure is awesome, by the way. <laughs> we are. Especially if it's your spouse. Always remember that. Your spouses are awesome. It's a mercy because we gather in the presence of God. And as we gather together as God's people, we might gather a bit disjointed. We might gather under-caffeinated. We might gather over-caffeinated. I think I'm heading towards the latter this morning. But that's no bad thing for me. But we gather in God's presence. And if Pentecost Sunday reminds us of anything, it's we gather in the presence of a God that does the remarkable. That does the amazing. These disciples, they gathered flummoxed, not really knowing what was going on, but sticking to what they knew, which was to stick together and pray. And they did that, and God poured out his spirit, and the church was birthed. So this morning we gather, we might be flummoxed, we might not really know what to do with the situations that we might find ourselves in, but we know to pray. We know to keep on gathering. And as we do these things, that same God, because it's the same God, he's not on holiday, he's not changed the job description, it's the same God. He's here this morning. And much like he could, could do 2,000 years ago, God doesn't get tired. He's not like, I've been dealing with these people for a couple of thousand years. I'm pretty drained now. No. It's the same God, the same power, and he's here with us this morning. It's a mercy that we are gathered as God's people this morning. Because as we gather together as God's people, God can do remarkable things. It may happen as we are praying. It may happen as we are singing songs of thanks. It may happen 
through the sermon. God is here. And he can do the most amazing things with our lives. It's a mercy. It's a mercy because these verses say that we are God's people. You know, life throws all sorts at us. Some of it is fantastic. Other parts, less so. But no matter what happens in life and no matter the mistakes that we might make, some of us might have made massive mistakes, might have fallen so hard we weren't sure if God would actually pick us back up. But no matter what, these verses tell us we are God's people. No matter the week we've had or what we, the week we will have, no matter the situations, we are God's people. And Pentecost tells us that this God who has claimed us as his own. You know, we all have possessions. And I, I think it was last week or the week before we were talking about the possessions and we, we're not the tight old slippers in the back of the cupboard. But we all have possessions that we own but don't really take much to do with. Whether it's the, 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 the jeans that you once bought and no longer use. Whether it's a shell suit that you've kept but never knew if you were ever going to be able to use it until Eddie brought out his 70s and 80s night. There are possessions that we have that we don't have too much to do with. When God says we are a people of his own possession, it's not so that he can leave us to the side. Pentecost tells us that that's not the case. God instead pours out his spirit upon us. Draws us nearer and nearer to God. And brings us into a relationship with him where we can call him our Abba, Father. There is intimacy there. The intimacy of a relationship of people, us and our God. So there is mercy. But these verses tell us also we are a people. What kind of people are we? This morning we are many different things. As I look around this room, we have engineers, we've got nurses, we've got chaplains, we've got coaches, we've got all sorts of different things. We've got programmers, we've got grandparents, we've got parents, we've got brothers, we've got sisters. Some of us are young, some of us are older, and I'm looking down as I say those so nobody can say I looked at anybody at that point. We might be happy, we might be sad, we might be frustrated. We might be disorientated. We might be stressed. We could be many different things. But one thing we are that's never going to change because caffeine wears off. Happiness sometimes is sadness. Sadness can turn to joy. But one status that's never going to change and all of that is that we are God's people. That's now and it is for eternity. God has brought us near to him. And Pentecost does remind us of that. We've been brought close by the blood of Jesus Christ. We sang that song boldly, I approach. And we can approach God boldly. And it's not for some sense of arrogance. 
or unawareness of holiness, but it's because we have faith in his Son. And Jesus tells us that he has brought us back to the Father. Pentecost powerfully puts an exclamation mark at that as God's Spirit is poured out in that powerful way as prophecy after prophecy is fulfilled in God's Spirit is poured out on all people. Anyone who knows Jesus Christ is sealed with that Holy Spirit. He is in us. So as we sit here this morning, there are many different things that we are, many different roles that we play. This one doesn't change. You're God. You're his child. You're beloved. And the God that has claimed you as his, as his child, will never leave us, nor forsake us. Life will throw a lot, throw a lot our way, but it can never change this status. There's nothing that can change this. Nothing can take our faith away if we don't let it. It's one of the few things that we have that we can actually hold tightly to. That faith that we have in God. So do you feel this morning like God's child? Are we familiar with mercy in a world which so often doesn't show it? We have mercy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have mercy because we have a God that's reached out and drawn us to him. We have mercy because that God has drawn us into a people. We are that people this morning. As we sit here, some of us looking like we've got a lot of zeal and we're ready for it, whatever Sunday brings. Others maybe need that cup of tea afterward. We've got some people who I know, and um, is it wrong to confess I'm envious or off to see the rent collective tonight? I didn't know that when I picked boldly I approached, by the way. That was, is that a coincidence or a God incidence? I'll let you guys decide. Sat here this morning, whatever your week has been, whatever next week will be, you're God's child. You're part of his people. And you know, as I say that, as I say we're part of God's people, being part of God's church is, it's a miracle, let me tell you that, because the only entrance into God's church is through faith. And faith is a gift of God. So it's a miracle that we're part of God's church. But being part of God's people has its blessings, and it also has, at times, its frustrations. I honestly do believe that belonging to a church is one of the ways in which we grow the most. Because we do rub off each other and create sparks at times. We have to learn patience, intolerance, forgiveness, compassion, all these different things as we journey together as a community. But one of the things I found about church, especially as I've watched you guys in action, is when the chips are down, God's people act. 
we drop the semantics, we drop the distractions, and we get stuck in on being who God has called us to be. Being part then of God's people could be an awesome place to be. And that's us. We are God's people. It's quieter this morning because some of God's other people have moved out. I'm not sure if everyone's noticed, but City Church are, are now down at the Kirk Centre. They're God's people as well. I can't hear their drums anymore, which is actually a bit unsettling because I'm so used to hearing the beat of their drums as we go through our service, but now it's silent. Brought into a community. A community which spans not just Ellen, but the whole of the world. But we are one small, valuable part of it. We are God's people. A people who have received mercy. And we're called to proclaim. Proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness into wonderful light. On Friday night, uh, we, we did YF up at the castle. Don very kindly took us all up there. Um, now, apart from the fact it was absolutely freezing, it was a really good time. Now, anyone that knows me knows I get cold very easily. You guys will find this room warm. I'm sitting in currently four layers and not feeling warm. So I went to this castle and I put on as many layers as, as I could and think I can still move. But we went up and it was a great time. The, the, the youth got to explore the castle. I don't know if any of the youth actually read any of the signs and the educational bits, but they were all there if people wanted to. But we did some games outside, and one of the games was I was, I was talking to the kids, to the youth, they're not kids, they're youth, about the fact that God calls us all into a race. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get, I'll pick the three folks that I saw running the fastest. And the three folks I saw running the fastest was Andrew, Declan and Rory. So I got these guys to race. So they all ran from one side to the other and it was fine. The next part was there was supposed to be some sort of hindrance, something that's weighing us down, something that's making it difficult. So um, with Declan and Rory, I got them to cover their eyes so they couldn't see. And with Andrew, I tied his shoes together, which brought complications later on because we couldn't get the knots out. <laughs> but Val sorted that. Um, so, I had the three of them all ready to run. Now, Rory and, and, and Andrew very nicely kind of followed the, 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 the script and they, they did struggle. And but Declan, he just bolted. And he was as fast as what he would be if the t-shirt wasn't covering him. But there was obstacles and there was hindrances. And part of that was because they couldn't see. For us, as Christians, we've been called into light we can see. We can see the mercy. Not literally, of course. But we can see the mercy that God has poured out on us. We can see the blessings of one another. We can see hope. Because we know our God has the final word in every situation and our God is good. We can see 
Not always as clearly as we would like the obstacles and the things that might hinder us as we seek to run the race that God has called each and every one of us. We can see above all the God that we've been drawn to. The God who Peter says we've received mercy because we can turn to him and call him our Abba Father. That God is present in this room with his people this morning. Now I wouldn't say have a look around and you'll see him because we know that's not how it works. But he is here nonetheless present with his people. So what do we see as Christians? And this is one of the things that this whole concept of thankfulness really challenged me on last week. What do we see? Do we see the obstacles? And do these obstacles or the storm, whichever metaphor you prefer, do these things blur that which is directly ahead of us? Our God. What do we see as we try to walk as people in the light? Because the reality is we're called to proclaim this God to those around us. And in the difficulties that life brings... It's so beneficial to us to have a real clear grasp of our God and what he has done on each and every one of our behalves. It's one thing when, we, when we're proclaiming to people God, but we're kind of like, you know, I've, I've found this, this God. He, he, he's sorted sin, but life got a lot harder since I followed this God. You can come to him, but I'm not promising it'll be easy. Of course, all of this is true. But we're losing sight of just amazing things that God has done. Or can we proclaim one who poured out remarkable mercy on our lives? Not that that means that we ignore the stuff that life brings and throws at us. Please don't do that. That's not good. But that that mercy becomes one of the rocks on which we stand as we journey through the difficulties that life can throw at us. What do we proclaim? Do we proclaim the love and mercy of God to those around us? By how we live, by how we respond, by what we say, by what we share? Is it law? Are we still struggling and find it easier actually to point out the failings of society and not talk about the solution. One of the, the, the sayings that's always struck me was one from Houston Taylor who pondered, why do we spend so much time as Christians talking about the problem of sin and not the solution? And there is a very powerful truth in that. This community throughout the world that God calls the church has a solution for sin. The solution is faith. In Jesus Christ, what do we proclaim to those around us? What kind of hope do we share? This morning we are the people of God. You are the children of God. I am a child of God. I'm a somewhat dysfunctional child of God on many occasions, but a child nonetheless. And that never, ever changes. And we are that because we have received mercy. 
we may not always feel that mercy because we live in a brutal and difficult world at times. But God, as Pentecost Sunday, always reminds us, will never leave us. He surrounds us. He indwells us. He goes before us. He is our strength, our rock, our shield. He is with us, always. So we go into life with that God, with his mercy. And we go with one another. Have a look around this church, just for a wee second. This is when I know when people are paying attention. These are the people that God has set you on a journey with. The people who will carry our burdens when the chips get down. The people who pray for us and love us and sometimes frustrate us. But we are with one another on this journey. And it's all bound together by this God that's done remarkable things through Jesus Christ. Trust him. And to pinch once more what Alan said this morning, let's keep our eyes set on him. Let's, as we've been challenged by the persecuted church, develop thankful hearts. Let's hold tightly to God's mercy when life throws what life throws at each and every one of us. And have hope, because we know our God is powerful. Our God will be victorious, and our God will never leave us, nor forsake us. You are his child now and always. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just want to pray and ask once more for you to fill us with your spirit, with your hope, with joy, Lord, because we know you as our Abba Father. We thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us, what Jesus Christ has achieved for us. That we are now clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That we are reconciled with a holy God. That nothing can separate us from your love. That we can rejoice because we know that you will be with us always. Father, I want to pray for us once more. That Lord, as we sit as your people this morning, Lord, you know what each and every one of us needs. You know the situations that we're facing, whether it be at work, whether it be ourselves, whether it be our family, whether it be our friends. That Lord, you would just touch our hearts. That you would fill us with hope. That we would leave here this morning feeling that we are familiar with mercy, not because life is simple or straightforward, but because our God is great. Lord, we pray that we would see you answer prayers in powerful ways. We pray that you would use us in mighty ways this coming week to bring glory to your name, to bring hope to those around us, to encourage one another. But above all, Lord, we just pray that we would know your presence with us, that we would know just a little bit more what it was like on Pentecost when God moved in the most remarkable ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We're going to close our service by singing a song.